The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Podcast, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's episode, since it's the beginning of the new year and many of us are considering lifestyle changes, that usually includes dieting. So today we discuss the primal lifestyle diet and the latest trends in health. But first up, Mark Sisson is a New York Times bestselling author, media personality, and ex-endurance athlete who founded the Primal Kitchen brand in 2015. He's been educating the world on nutrition and the benefits of fat and protein for the last decade via his blog, MarksDailyApple.com. With the launch of the Primal Kitchen, Mark delivers on his mission to create uncompromisingly delicious condiments, sauces, cooking oils, collagen peptides, and pantry staples that are made with fats we love and clean ingredients and contain no dairy, gluten, grain, refined sugar, or soy. As Mark would say, eat like your life depends on it, because it does. And Morgan Bueller, the president and co-founder of Primal Kitchen with Morgan's energetic leadership and innovative mindset. Primal Kitchen launched the world's first avocado oil, mayonnaise, and salad dressings, collagen, protein bars, and other industry-leading products. Prior to Primal Kitchen, she ran marketing for Kavita and managed brands within PepsiCo's Growth Ventures portfolio for a boutique advertising agency. She spent her post-college years as a yawn-plagued accountant, I love that by the way, nomadic adventurer in South America and a wannabe yogi in Hawaii. When Morgan's not tirelessly working to make our food system a better place, you can find her surfing or wandering the farmer's markets of Southern California. Wow, love it. We welcome both of you to the Mother's Market Podcast. Thanks so much. How are you? I'm great. I'm in Miami Beach and uh, living the uh, living the dream in the middle of winter where it's 77 degrees out. And, uh, you know, it's like summer camp every day. So thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, great for you. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't you fill our audience a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Well, you know, um, the mission uh, initially uh, emanated from uh, this sort of epiphany I had 30 years ago that uh, so much of my own health, even as an endurance athlete, was sort of dictated by the types of foods that I ate. Um, and I, I realized that I couldn't just be an engine that was burning any kind of fuel. I had to be putting the right kind of fuel in my body. So I started a, um, a research project that's ongoing and it's been again over 30 years now uh, where I was looking at ways in which we could enhance not just uh, human performance from a racing elite athlete point of view, but just from the average citizen. Like how could the average citizen achieve a strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, productive um, body and, and you know, always be um, upbeat and positive and have all the energy they wanted. And it, was, it, was there a way that we could do that through, um, through altering the way our genes rebuild, renew, regenerate, recreate us on a daily basis? And, and, and it turns out that so much of that was, was based on how we ate and, how, and, the, and the foods that we choose to eat. So um, I, I came across all this information, like a treasure trove of information. And it was so empowering to me and my friends that I thought I'd start a blog and I would, I would basically, um, you know, take the learnings that I was getting from the research I was doing and put it out there for people to read. So the initial, the initial uh, mission statement was to change the lives of 10 million people by giving them access to information that would allow them to take back 
control of their own health and not be put on that roller coaster treadmill um, uh, assembly line that we call the U.S. medical system. Uh, so, so the original um, the original goal was to affect the lives of 10 million people, and it turns out about mm, four or five years into that, I feel like we'd already we already kind of hit that number, so I had to add a zero to it. So then the mission became to change the way 100 million people eat, uh, and 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 then that sort of became the underlying mission for the creation of Primal Kitchen and the products that we have that are that are there to enhance the eating experience, to make healthy eating fun and exciting uh, and enjoyable and probably most of all sustainable over a lifetime. That's amazing. I love it. And um, we're big fans of your blog. Um, and so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Today, we're talking about healthy foods and living the primal lifestyle. And so Mark and Morgan, um, Morgan, we're going to let you get in on this too. Uh, Morgan, what is the primal blueprint all about? Well, Mark's probably better to answer the primal blueprint, but I can give you my <laughs> Cliff Notes version. I do a good um, Cliff Notes version of Mark's whole life story because we've told <laughs> it together so many times. Um, but the primal blueprint, I mean, Mark, what would you say? It's an all-encompassing a list of rules for getting the most out of life. So, you know, I think people that are attracted to the primal mission um, are people who, you know, want the most out of every area of their life. And a lot of that starts with health. So Mark's provided mm -hmm. a blueprint, if you will, for, you know, feeling your best so you can show up um, in the best way possible in every area of your life. Yeah, the blueprint is, it's a template that calls on uh, you know, evolution and modern genetic science to um, figure out, uh, the term they use these days is hacks, but, but ways in which mm. uh, we can achieve um, optimal health through not just diet, diet certainly a, a, lot, a large part of that, but also sleep optimization, sun exposure, play, using your brain, um, you know, things like that, a complete lifestyle that gets us to the point. Look, our tagline is live awesome. Right. And that's really mm. what we're after. So really, the primal blueprint is a template for living your life in a way that um, is enjoyable, that allows you to get the most amount of um, contentment, fulfillment, excitement, satisfaction out of every possible moment, mostly through understanding how it is that your body reacts and how it responds over time. Yeah, I love that. It's live awesome. But you also, you know, you, you get one chance. Your life depends on it. And eat like it, like uh, because it does. Your life, you only get one chance, right? So I, you know, knowing that early on, and then being able to just implement that, uh, and it's true. Those hacks or those templates. That's uh, that's what you're providing. You are that blueprint. What are the benefits, of physical and mental, of primal living? And and I also love that you include sleep. Uh, people don't give that enough, uh, you know, attention. I think, uh, but yeah, all encompassing. Uh, encompassing. So um, the benefits of physically and mentally primarily. Living. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, more energy uh, throughout the day, uh, better, better mental clarity, uh, better sleep, uh, trending toward an ideal body composition, uh, maintaining muscle mass, and, and in some cases actually improving uh, your performance over time, if, especially if you start this at, an, at a later age. Some people think when they're 55 or 60 that, well, you know, they're, they're, their days of improving are over and all they can do is stem the decline. And what we find is that people in, who start on the primal blueprint at that age um, can look forward to another decade or two of constant improvement. So hmm. there's, a, there, there's you know, a, a, a certainly a risk 
uh, a reduction in the risk for certain diseases, almost all lifestyle diseases, or a, re a risk in the, uh, a reduction of risk for um, heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, things like that. Those have been proven through the types of uh, uh, lifestyle that we're that we're espousing here. Um, yeah, across the board, there's like no there are no bad reasons that you would want to engage in the primal movement. They're all good. So I think you also, you answered a question and that is it's really never too late, right? I mean, you can get to learn, you can figure out and, and make some really amazing changes no matter how old you are. Is that kind of what your uh, primal blueprint is as well? hundred percent. I mean, no, I, when I say 55 or 60, but we have people 75, 80, mm -hmm. 85 who've, who've begun after, you know, a lifetime of, um, I won't say making the wrong choices, but probably making choices that didn't serve them as well as they might have. Uh, who've started again as as a septuagenarian or octogenarian and start getting, you know, a tremendous gains in muscle mass and mobility, hmm. um, mental acuity, uh, you know, all pretty much all aspects of what would we would say defines a quality life. Right. Um, what are some of the myths around ancestral eating? This is interesting to me as well, but uh, that you'd like to debunk ancestral eating. First of all, what is that? I does that mean, does it run in your family or? <laughs> that's they... good, no, that's a good. No, <laughs> ancestral, ancestral, the ancestral health movement sort of calls upon anthropology, you know, uh, um, uh, human history and uh, genetics, uh, genetics. To, look, to, to look at how um, we evolved as humans over say a two and a half million per year period of time from the earliest humans to where we are today. And and the recognition that the that the, that our DNA, that our genes today, uh, are just sort of a manifestation of all of the people who survived the rigors of a hostile environment and ate mm. real food for millions of years. And what we what we're encountering now is this notion that that uh, because our genes expect us to be hunter gatherers, mm -hmm. uh, it's only been ten thousand years since we were hunter gatherers across the world as as people, um, and that's not enough time for for the for our genome to um, to sufficiently adapt to these new foods that we're creating all the time, and so there's a mismatch with our genes and the types of foods that we're buying on the store shelves. These processed foods, these you know industrial seed oils, these uh, you know sugar added um, mm. uh, uh, again packaged uh, ready to eat foods, and so the ancestral health movement says, well, okay, how can we kind of go back to a you know, go back to eating the way our bodies expect us to eat and give our genes the input that our genes expect of us so that they can manifest a body that, that burns fat instead of storing fat, a body that builds muscle instead of having the muscle waste away, a body that makes strong bones instead of brittle bones and osteoporosis, a body that is, uh, you know, that, that's, that's always uh, upbeat and looking forward to the next event rather than moody, depressed, and, and, and sad. All of these things are within our control uh, and it turns out the ancestral health movement looks at, again, what, what, what was it about our ancestors' diets that worked for them that we don't have today? Now, the, so one of the myths would be people will say, well, you know, look at the fruit today. None of the fruit today existed in the, in the form that it did um, uh, 50,000 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. And, and uh, you know, you could say, well, that's it's pretty much true. I mean, the fruits are grown to be much more uh, bigger and more, you know, higher in sugar content, but they're still natural. They're still, they still come from the ground. They're still, you know, they're still um, better for us than say a, a processed frozen, you know, fruit pop or something like that. Uh, and the same goes for um, some of the vegetables. People would say, well, you know, the, 
There's issues with certain people have with nightshades, for instance, you know, tomatoes and eggplants and things like that. Well, they're natural, you know, they come from the ground and some people might have a problem with them, but most people do not. And most people would say, you know, our genes um, are prepared, our, our bodies have made the enzymes and all of the, all of the machinery necessary to, to um, not just consume and, and live on these foods, but to thrive on them over time versus feeding ourselves, uh, you know, a, 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 a waffle for breakfast with, with orange juice, that's all sugar. Um, a, you know, bagel snack in the middle of the morning, that's all carbohydrate, um, you know, uh, a fast food lunch that's got some industrially, you know, processed fats in it, some soybean oils and stuff like that. Um, so, so, you know, when we talk about the ancestral health movement, we're, we're, I don't want to get too, too deep in the weeds about, well, our ancestors would never have eaten that, right? Mm-hmm. Or our ancestors are like, you know, that, that didn't even exist. So how can you even use that as a you know, as a, uh, as a measuring stick or a template. Um, so you have to be, you know, kind of just understand how the body works and be smart about it and, and not uh, get too deep into the dogmatic uh, aspects of a way of eating. Just use that way of eating, you know, as a template. Uh, people said, for instance, when I, when I first introduced the Primal Blueprint and I was, uh, I was allowing dairy because I like cheese. And, mm-hmm. uh, and people say, well, wait a minute, our ancestors didn't, you know, they didn't go out and milk wild animals. Well, it, it really doesn't matter. Milk is natural. It comes from, you know, comes from, from animals. It's an animal product. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be drinking milk or eating, you know, milk-based products. But it was sort of a, um, it was a dogmatic no-no for a, for a, a long time within the uh, paleo movement. So mm-hmm. I'm, I just try to be as, uh, well, as pragmatic and as, and as inclusive as possible about as many foods that, that is, is, if a food is not giving me issues, then I'm like going to find all the ways that I should include it in my diet. I, I would love to find out, you know, I'm, I like cheese as well. And yeah, the dairy, as I'm getting older, I know it's uh, not agreeing with my system so much. So I know you have all kinds of alternatives. And in a moment, I do want to ask you about what a sample uh, day looks like for you for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What, what do those meals look like? Um, and we'll get to that. But what are some of the things about, you just talked about the paleo diet, uh, keto and primal movements that you wish more people knew? I mean, I, I think uh, the main thing is that there's no right way to do this. There are all sorts of ways in which people can experiment. And, um, and so each of these ways you just mentioned has its own sort of set of nuanced uh, benefits that if you uh, undertake it, you could have some fun experimenting with how you feel or how your body, perf- you know, you, you perform under uh, in exercise. Um, they're all legitimate ways of, of eating. And, and uh, as is, by the way, um, you know, uh, to a certain extent, being a vegetarian. I mean, there, there are lots of vegetarians who do a very good job of assembling a diet. So, um, I don't, I, what I, I think the main thing I want people to understand is there's no right way to do this. And all I've done in my entire career is just do the research and try and educate people on uh, the benefits of, of trying to eat this way for say 30 days and doing what we call an experiment of one and seeing how you feel and making the adjustments after that. 
Yeah. And I think that's, I think, you know, just removing some things that may, we don't know, I guess everybody's, you're saying everybody's different. So um, I like that, that 30 day window where you um, kind of test it on yourself. And I'll just um, add a lot of yeah. people think you have to be like a huge meat eater to follow any of these diets. So I think Mark touched a little bit on the vegetarian side of things. And Mark's approach to keto is like inclusive in the same sense that his approach to paleo is, but it's, you know, a lot more vegetables are encouraged. Um, and some people are like, Oh, I don't like meat that much. I could never mm-hmm. be paleo or keto, but that's like really not a problem. Right, Mark? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a meat centric diet. So that actually leads me to my next question and this trending carnivore diet. What do you think about that? Is that safe? Oh, I think it's safe for almost everybody to do for a period of time. The issue for me remains to be seen. Is it a, is it sustainable for a lifetime? Uh, mm-hmm. But I know people have been doing it for years who are getting amazing results. Uh, and I don't, I really don't see a reason not to do it. So if you ask if it's safe, it's absolutely safe. Um, is it, is it safe to do, you know, all in for um, several years? I can't answer that question, but, but virtually everyone I've, I've known who uh, has engaged in the carnivore diet went to that diet because they had either stalled in their other uh, approaches there are other ways of eating or they just they were just miserable and and you know we're we're having all sorts of health issues uh and i mean i mean pretty much across the board people who have gone to this carnivore way of eating um have experienced um benefits that sometimes are like like almost you know almost too good to be true when you hear them when you hear the testimonials so i'm i mean i'm really? i'm more carnivore now than i've ever been as a result of the research that I've done as a result of listening to some of my friends in that arena, like Sean Baker and Paul Saladino, who are the leading physicians in that, in that arena. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely safe. And it's, I think it's worth trying if you're someone who has failed at other diets or, you know, has, has uh, issues that have not resolved like medical, you know, uh, certain issues like, um, you know, gastric issues or skin issues that haven't resolved with other diets it would be worth trying. Okay, that sounds good. I, I'm gonna try that one next. <laughs> um, this is great information. We have to take a quick break. Don't go away. We will be right back with uh, Mark and Morgan. Stay with us. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with her life stages. The first of its kind comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. Welcome back to the Mother's Market podcast. And we want to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. 
click the link for podcast and listen to past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons. All available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with health experts, Mark Sisson and Morgan Bueller. And we're talking about healthy foods and living the primal lifestyle. So, Mark, are there any health trends or movements that are popular right now that you wish people knew more about? Well, I mean, the one that um, I'm actually writing a book on, it's coming out. I've written a book. It's coming out in March. Um, The book is called Two Meals a Day. And it's really basically based on the notion of uh, intermittent fasting um, and, you know, all of the research done on, on what we call time restricted eating windows. But um, the, the, the notion underlying all of it is that uh, we eat too much food. Like, like literally all of us in this country eat too much food. The fact that some of us can get away with it and not gain weight, you know, or not exhibit overtly um, health issues doesn't mean it's not bad for us. So the challenge is to find a way in which uh, to convince people that it's okay to eat less food, provided you don't get hungry. That's the big mm-hmm. issue. Um, hunger kind of ruins everything. But there are ways in which uh, we can um, optimize our health, uh, get more out of life, have more energy, um, get sick far less often uh, by cutting back, not horribly, but cutting back on the, on the amount of food we eat. And the best way to do that is just eating two meals a day instead of three. Um, because the, the, and the, and the main reason for that is so much of what happens in the body that's positive. So much of the repair, the regeneration, the good stuff happens when we're not eating. So the more time you can go without eating, mm-hmm. literally it's almost counterintuitive, the better it is for your body. You kind of flip the script on that. And now that you said that out loud and, you know, I mean, t- people have been talking about intermittent fasting, but why? And you just really stated it. It's happening. It's repairing your body when you're not eating. Yes. And so yeah. what do those meals look like? What, when you, if you say two meals a day is uh, obviously, is there a time difference in there? And when, what would those, an example of those meals, what would you say? Yeah. So, so ideally what, like what I do and what a lot of people who do this now, it's really become kind of a, uh, a cult uh, is um, I, I'll get up in the morning, I'll have a cup of coffee, which I don't count as a meal. Uh, and I'll get to work and I'll, I'll do some work and, and then I'll go to the gym and I'll do a workout and I'll come back and I'll do some more work. And, and I have my first meal um, at about 1.30 hmm. in the afternoon. And it's typically, like today, I had um, a piece of salmon and uh, a Greek salad. Hmm. Um, and then in the afternoon, um, I might have handful of macadamia nuts or something actually where I went today just to be truthful they give you a a Greek yogurt a a wonderful Greek yogurt but it's too much food for me to eat at lunch the salmon and the salad and so I bring the the yogurt home and then I might snack on that a little bit in the afternoon and then tonight um, I'll go to a restaurant with uh, a friend of mine and I'll order a steak and some grilled vegetables and a glass of wine and that's my day Uh, that's my that's my food day there's no dessert in there. I'm not saying you can't have dessert, but I'm suggesting that, you know, every day I go without eating dessert, that serves me better. Yes, I have, you know, I have sweets on occasion. I'm not, I'm not that draconian about it, but um, I don't overdo, you know, a big piece of cheesecake. I have a couple of bites, that's it. So there are ways in which we can experience the best parts of food, the best taste of food, uh, and then recognize that that's all we need. We don't need to finish 
you know, what's on the plate or we don't need to, we don't need to make breakfast the most important meal of the day. When you, when you, you know, you, you, there's some work to be done to get to this point. You have to train your body how to burn fat efficiently and easily when you're not eating. We call this metabolic flexibility. It's the ability to derive energy from any substrate available, whether it's glucose in, in your bloodstream, carbohydrate on your plate of food, glycogen stored in your muscles, fat on your stored in your body, fat on your plate of food, ketones made by your liver. There's all these energy substrates we have access to. And if we can train the body to use them in the most efficient way possible, then we never run out of energy. We literally, mm. uh, you know, you, we always have a, a great amount of energy to get us through the day. We, we are able to build muscle. We are able to maintain that muscle mass. Uh, we have high energy levels. We, you know, we sleep better. We don't get sick um, that often, if ever. Um, COVID not was, you know, notwithstanding. Uh, and, um, but, you know, we can talk about COVID and the fact that this is a, that COVID is a pretty much um, very, very tied linked to, uh, to your metabolism. And if you have um, taken the steps to, uh, to do the things to become metabolically flexible uh, and improved your vitamin D levels and, you know, maintained uh, good blood sugar, you, it's quite likely that your experience with COVID will be minimum, for instance. You led me to my next question, and that is about, you know, what, what does that role of healthy eating play with COVID and changing the way we view public health? Uh, I had COVID back in July, and I literally didn't even know I had it until it test, I tested positive. Um, and I feel fortunate. Um, but tell me, talk to me about your COVID experience. I mean, I got it over Thanksgiving, and I was, you know, I was in a closed uh, uh, car with somebody who had COVID, who I didn't know at the time, but tested positive the next day. So I knew I was gonna, you know, if I was gonna get it, I was gonna get it soon. So I self-quarantined and, yep. you know, it was like the easiest summer cold I've ever had. It lasted two days. <laughs> I did lose uh, smell and taste for about seven days. That was weird. But, you know, no <laughs> other symptoms, no, like, I feel like I've been training my whole life for this, for COVID. And I feel really pretty strongly that if, if the attention that governments are putting on wearing masks and social distancing, if the attention had been placed on eating better, on cutting back on sugar, on getting outside and getting vitamin D, on supplementing with vitamin D, uh, that, that we would have not had the huge um, numbers that, we, that we're currently experiencing with COVID. It's, it's, in my mind, it was never a viral issue so much as it was an immune system issue. I mean, literally, I wish you were there, um, it, really talking to the people that uh, could make a difference there. And you are, obviously, but that's, uh, that's huge. That's a headline right there. Um, and I think, Morgan, we talked about it. You made me laugh because you said um, you did lose your sense of uh, smell as well briefly. Yeah, yeah I had COVID to... like two weeks before Mark, actually. Um, and yeah, I, I lost my sense of smell as well. I believe they've like tied the loss of sense of smell and taste with zinc deficiency. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. Oh. I do believe there's like some, I don't know if that's been fully proven out, but yeah, that's why I, we both took, Mark and I both took zinc and quercetin, which I think is pretty well known now, but that um, the quercetin is supposed to help with zinc absorption. And my sense of smell came back maybe like five days later. Um, but yeah, yeah I, was, I, was, I, I was definitely downing the zinc for yeah. sure. And, um, and my, like I say, it was about six or seven days for me. And the scary thing is I have friends who got COVID, you know, back in April and don't still don't have their, their taste back. And that's really, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so have you told them to bulk up on the, the zinc? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But I, I, some of these people just, 
They just don't listen, Kim. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go oil training to get their sense of smell back though. I've been reading about this. You can do this, like this training. Really? So you have to oh, yeah. 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 You smell different scents like a few times a day. And then apparently that can help regrow your sense of smell. I'm like a sure. muscle to train or something. Yeah. Those the smelling muscles. <laughs> but well, I, do think, I do think that's a wake up call with, with this pandemic this year is that people really need to be paying closer attention to their health in general and certainly yeah. to the dietary part of that. I mean, I know for a fact that just, just by eliminating sugar, uh, you're going to shore up your immune system significantly. That's huge. And, um, you know, I know like, yeah, with the COVID, they keep talking about the diabetic, oh, if you're overweight, if you're compromised and all of that, but that all does lead right back to health and what you're putting in, uh, in your bodies uh, for the most part. So I love that you explained that. I'm glad you guys are both feeling better. Um, that, so let's talk a little bit, Morgan, this one's for you. How important is the organic destination on a product? Um, I think it's, it's very important. You mean for the consumer? Yeah. 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 I think it's, it's definitely, um, you know, one little piece of the puzzle, right. And one big piece of the puzzle, we're huge fans of getting any product we make certified organic if possible. Um, I think there's benefits for, uh, our soil, for our water supply, environmental benefits beyond just your own personal consumption of organic products. Um, we don't have organic certification on all of our products because we use avocado oil and avocado oil wasn't something that was easy to come by certified organic. We look, we priced it out when we launched five years ago, six years ago, mm -hmm. and it was like literally 30 times the price of conventional avocado oil. So we're hoping is wow. that supply chain becomes more mature. We'll be able to, um, you know, source, uh, organic avocados as well, avocado oil. Hmm. What should, uh, when you talked about certified, what should uh, consumers look for, for the uh, certifications? Yeah. I mean, these, there's no shortage of certifications nowadays, is there? It's crazy. Um, right. yeah. uh, we see, you know, we're seeing a lot of the specialty diet certifications pop up. So Whole30, Keto, Paleo approved. Um, and then there's other interesting ones. Like we just had the eggs that we're purchasing for our mayonnaise certified humane. Um, so that's, mm. that's a huge a huge one beyond just some of the, you know, cage-free. So what changes can be made to make healthy eating more accessible? We're talking about these certifications and you're in stores, you're online. Um, what else can you talk about with being more accessible? I think for us, like a big, you know, kind of light bulb moment was we launched this mayonnaise made with avocado oil. And no, I mean, mayonnaise was a really boring category before we entered, right? It was this $2 billion behemoth category that no one had disrupted. And we brought this awesome, healthy fat to the category. And then all this innovation kind of trickled out behind us, if you will, which, which yeah. is awesome because the more products there are on the market made with avocado oil, even if, you know, they're made by our competitors, the better. So, you know, mm -hmm. as soon as we launched mayonnaise with avocado oil, a bunch of other people followed suit. We launched salad dressings with avocado oil, same thing. And I think anything, you know, I think as our, our place in the industry, like if we can kind of spark that change that starts a trend and grows from there, that's just like a huge win for everyone because the more people eating, mayonnaise made with avocado oil, you know, we believe the healthier the world is. So getting rid of some of those um, highly processed industrial seed oils in the diet. So I think, I think um, some of these like trendy little small niche things that blow up have, 
have a really powerful ability to pull more people into the diet. And, you know, avocado oil is a very niche product, but like I talked about earlier, hopefully that becomes more commoditized prices come down and we can, you know, really make a, a change universally. Um, but yeah, you guys are leaders, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love how, yeah, you started the trend. So just get in line, right? (laughs) What uh, primal kitchen collagen peptides. I really want to ask you about this or just that really, I've been seeing a lot about collagen peptides. So what are extremely popular right now? What role do they play in a healthy diet? So I've said for probably the last 10 years that I think collagen might even be like the fourth macronutrient. Uh, It's, you know, we have fat, protein, and carbohydrate. Collagen is a form of of protein, but you can't really, uh, you couldn't live on just collagen alone. Um, And yet collagen as a, uh, as a raw material, as a, as an ingredient uh, is probably, it's, it's, it's the most prevalent form of protein in the human body. It's, it's uh, tendons and ligaments and fascia and cartilage and connective tissue and skin and hair. Cartilage is, is throughout the body and, uh, and, and cart or actually collagen is throughout the body and collagen, um, used to be an integral part of our diet a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, because we would eat the full animal nose to tail, you know, or, or, uh, we'd boil the carcass down and make a stock, some kind of a vegetable stock, or let me see a, 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 a collagen stock. And, um, and then for the longest time, we, so we were, we, we, we were always getting collagen in our diet and it was supporting the turnover and health of our tendons and ligaments and, and, and muscles and fascia and connective tissue. Um, and even in the 70s and 80s, uh, as we stopped eating so much of the, of the nether parts, the other parts of the animal, we stopped eating animals nose to tail where all of the good sources of collagen were, we still got jello. Like we ate jello and that was, that was gelatin and that's a form of collagen. So, so even kids even got enough in their diet. Well, starting about 20 years ago with people thinking, I guess they stopped eating so much jello and they, and they, and they were only buying the choice cuts of meat. We entered a, like a, a whole generation of people that never got any collagen in their diet. And we started to see a lot of, of injuries, a lot of things with, you know, tendons and ligaments and, and connective tissue that were disrupting certainly among athletes, but also among just, you know, uh, regular people. And in my case, um, about six or seven years ago, I got a severe case of Achilles tendinosis. And I was told I was going to need surgery to fix it. And it was never going to be the same. And I just, you know, I went back to the drawing board. I did the research. And I'm like, you know what? I have only been eating, you know, prime cuts of meat. I haven't been eating any form of gelatin. Um, I need to start supplementing with collagen. And I started taking 30 or 40 grams of collagen a day for like four months. And I literally, I literally fixed the issue that I had with my Achilles. Uh, because wow. I was finally giving my, my body the raw material it needed. In the absence of that raw material, the body goes to plan B, which is like, okay, if we don't have the raw material to build back the collagen, let's see, we can make scar tissue or we can fake it by calcifying it. But, you know, what we'd really like to do is just repair it with, with the actual raw material and ingredient uh, that's required to do the best possible job. So I was so blown away by the research I did into collagen supplementation and, and then recognized that, that, this is really a nutrient that when I say it's the fourth macronutrient, you can't get collagen from, from eating uh, a prime rib or ribeye or uh, chicken. You can get some from chicken skin, for instance, or salmon skin, 
because uh, those are good sources. But, you know, I'll t- take you back 20 years ago when everybody was just eating skinless chicken breasts, right? Right. So we had a whole generation of people that just got no collagen at all. Mm. Um, but collagen is, is, you know, it's, it's integral in supporting strong uh, bones in, in healthy skin, hair and nails, uh, cartilage, ligaments, tendons, fascia, all that stuff that sort of holds us together. So um, I was so convinced that collagen was like, uh, this really important nutrient that that we were missing that I decided to make a supplement. There's one thing that, that came up that arose in the last five or six years, and that's bone broth, right? So bone oh, broth yeah. has become big. Well, bone broth, the popularity of bone broth is directly tied to the fact that it's a source of collagen. Okay. People drink bone broth for its gelatin slash collagen peptides, right? Um, they don't like, and I'm not a person who's got to drink collagen on a 90 degree day in the middle of the afternoon in Miami. Um, <laughs> you know, a hot cup of bone broth just doesn't do it for me. But, right. you know, a, a cold glass of a collagen supplement um, would, would do the trick. Wow. I, that's really interesting that you've really healed yourself. And I would imagine that people would be running out right now to go get that. Yeah. Uh, so just caveat, I can't say that I healed myself, but I, uh, but, but, but I, I haven't had an Achilles issue for six years since I started doing this. Wow. So, wow. I, yep, yeah, I, I'm sold. Read between the lines. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I hear you loud and clear. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the Primal Kitchen, how you focus on something called fats we love. And most people are skeptical, skeptical of the benefits of healthy fats. But can you speak more about that? Um, yeah. I mean, look, uh, all, all of the foods that we eat exist on a spectrum. Some are really, really bad for you. Some of them are really, really good for you. Um, and probably the one that's most misunderstood is, is our fats. So fats exist, you know, on a spectrum of kind of the worst, which are the trans fats, the ones that have been altered uh, so horribly in the laboratory and, and in, in, in the production facilities uh, known to be uh, increasing risk for cancer and heart disease. Um, and then we have some of the polyunsaturated fats, which are, which are some of which are beneficial in small amounts, poly, uh, um, omega-3 fats, for instance, are beneficial in, in, in certain amounts. Omega-6 are beneficial in certain amounts, but if you get too much of them, then it's, it becomes problematic. At the other end of the spectrum, you have monounsaturated fats, which most physicians now recognize as heart healthy and beneficial. Mm-hmm. And you want to get as many of those within reason, uh, in your diet as possible. And then, and then at the other end, there's saturated fats, which are, which have been grossly maligned by the health industry for the last 40 or 50 years. And yet it turns out saturated fats are not, are not that bad for us. Yeah, we should probably watch the intake and not go overboard on it, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't just try to avoid saturated fats on principle alone. So we look for what we call the healthy fats. You know, we, the, the ones that, that we find are sort of in that sweet spot of they taste good uh, and they're beneficial. And, and mm. avocado oil was, was one area that was just, uh, you know, really, really of interest to us. It was probably the highest on the scale of all of the, all of the benefits you could get from an oil. Um, probably the highest of all is our extra virgin avocado oil. Yeah. Um, and then olive oil, of course, we're, you know, we, we do an olive oil now because we, we're big fans of olive oil. Um, and we're always looking for, you know, what, what the next sort of healthy oil that we can incorporate into our products might be. 
That's great. Uh, so this also leads me to another question. So for Morgan, uh, what is the one food everyone should include in their diet supplement? Well, that's a tough diet. So bio-individual, but um, for me, I would say salmon. Um, I think salmon's just such a great, it's, it's like my, it's a joke whenever we go out to eat. It's like, if there's some salad with salmon in it or some salmon dish, that's what I always order. I think that's a, that's my safe one. That's your go-to. Yeah. Okay. And so what, let's talk about the big trends coming to healthy eating in your opinion. Yeah, this is interesting. I think there's what to look about look at this from like a micro and a macro perspective. So we're seeing like, you know, as you mentioned, the carnivore diet, obviously like plant-based and vegan is like still hugely um, trending right now. But I think one thing we've seen in the data recently is that people are kind of shying away from restrictive diets. So, you know, we're fatigued, like we've been at home, we're stressed out. It's, it's January, but like it's, it's COVID January. Right. And right. Something to make me feel good and have an easy win without having to like totally, you know, appall, overhaul my life. So, um, and actually, interestingly enough, we just got consumer data from Primal Kitchen last week and we were over indexing in folks who are on like the carnivore super meat forward diet and also folks who are on a plant-based diet. So that kind of just goes to show you what's happening in the marketplace right now, right? Like people are, you know, finding our products. We have, we have vegan offerings. We have, you know, stuff that's targeted more towards the paleo consumer and, both of those things are trending. Um, and then I'm just always a big fan of the trend of vegetables. Like I, I like the things mm-hmm. that I don't think are going anywhere. Mark and I are are not fans at all of the Frankenfood fake meat movement. So um, <laughs> if I was a betting woman, I would bet against soy protein isolate for the long term. Um, but I think, you know, real ingredients like, you know, added cauliflower and stuff like that. So those are they're not the sexiest trends, but I think a movement away from the restrictive diets and towards just more of these real food veggie added in- ingredients. I think that's where we're headed in the short term. I'm going to have to try that. I love that. And anything to spice up COVID in January yeah, right. <laughs> and then make a good twist. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been so fascinating, interesting, and congratulations and keep up the great healthy work that you're doing. Uh, we appreciate your time and some great advice. And we really appreciate your knowledge and we look forward to having you on again. But in the meantime, You can get more information on the website, which is primalkitchen.com. And thanks again. We look forward to your next visit. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you want to learn more health information, check out mothersmarket.com. Get delicious recipes and health guidelines to keep your body in great shape. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market podcast and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.